So today I'm talking on <clears throat> and, uh, the subject of called, or all called, or whatever you want to call it. We are called a preaching series. And it really is just this idea that we, that every single person here is called by Jesus Christ. And if I went to look at the dictionary definition of called, and it means to shout out in a loud voice, that doesn't really kind of define what calling is biblically. Calling is when God calls you out for a specific a purpose in your generation to see something fulfilled. And uh, there was an amazing man, William Wilberforce. Who's heard of him? Ten points for you if you have. If you're at the first meeting, then you would have heard of him. Okay. But William Wilberforce uh, was an incredible man. He was, uh, I think, I can't get the dates right. I should have actually checked it up. But let's say a couple of hundred years ago. And he, he lived in England. And he, he came from a very uh, wealthy, uh, upper crust family. I know in England there's definitely a class system. He was kind of at the top. Went to like the best schools, something like Eton College. I don't know if he went there, but it was something like that. Where he came up and he grew up. Um, and he had this, he had within him, and it's almost branded that he was going to be the next prime minister of England. And that would have been that would have given him incredible prestige, would have given him incredible influence. And uh, he, in all of that, he ended up actually giving his life to Jesus Christ. God raises him up, he gives his life to Jesus Christ, and everything from that moment was totally different. So what had happened in, in that time in the UK, there was really a revival happening. You had John and Charles Wesley preaching the, the gospel. You had Charles Finney literally preaching and people were falling out of trees under the power of God. There was just this revival that was happening out in fields. Thousands of people giving their lives to Jesus outside of the church. And uh, God, God was doing something, but then he was also raising up people in the governments. And I believe that's happening today. And we, There's incredible stories that I've been hearing. But you have this man, William Wilberforce, who was raised up. And... Uh, spent his life, I think it was 40 years, to, to, for the abolishment of slavery. This man stood up and he could have been the prime minister. He could have used his influence, his oratory skills, his finance, his, uh, his knowledge of the law but, uh, to become the prime minister, to, to build his own career, to build his own life. But he used those same skills to set millions of people free. The world is different because of William Wilberforce. And now there's modern day reformers that there's still slaves around the world. There's uh, like 28 million, million slaves apparently alive on, on earth today that possibly in this country and in nearly every country of the world there's people that are forcibly uh, sold into sex into different things and we need to be part of the solution now and then there's many amazing men and women who are doing that today but William Wilberforce literally changed history because of what he did and uh, that for me is calling it's taking the skills and the gifting that God has given you getting ignited by the power and the presence of Jesus and saying, I'm going to use these skills to change the earth. I'm not going to use these skills to get necessarily richer. Some of you may get richer in the process and use your finances for kingdom good, and that's great. Some of you have been gifted with that ability, and that's amazing. The kingdom of God needs you. But don't let that be the focus. Don't let being rich or another zero or two on my bank account being the focus. Let your focus say, God, here's this ability that you've given me to make money, to, to be faithful in this thing. Let me actually see your kingdom advance in this place. And the same goes to everyone else. If you're a quantity surveyor, look around the room. There's engineers, there's bankers, there's teachers. Charles, Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, if God has called you to be a preacher, do not stoop to be the king of England. And I want to flip it on the other side, is that if God has called you to be a business owner, if God has called you to be a quantity surveyor, engineer, banker, accountant, whatever it is, wherever he's called you to have influence, do not stoop to doing what I'm doing. 
I know this is a noble task that God has given me, but this is my calling. That's why titles are out of the window. Because I'm feeling, feeling back quite badly, eh? Or is it right? Okay. Okay. I'm just hearing feedback. We, we live our lives for something greater and bigger than ourselves. That is, that is calling. It's taking what we have and we serve Jesus with it. I want to turn in our Bibles just quickly to 1, uh, it's 1 Corinthians 1.26. We can write it down. I don't think it's behind me because I forgot to tell the team. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 26. One Corinthians one twenty six. Brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many were wise by, by the, from a human perspective. Not many powerful. Not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something. So that no one may boast as in his presence. That's an amazing scripture for me. Just hold on one second, please. That's an amazing scripture for me because it's showing that God will use absolutely anyone. I've, I'm convinced of this, that our calling always starts from a place of just saying yes to God. That's what happened with me. My, I was probably 17 years old. I'd been saved kind of a couple of years before that. I remember eight, nine years old, definitely giving my life to Jesus. We were Baptists. My mom ended up going to a Toronto Blessing meeting. Who knows Toronto Blessing? Do you guys remember that? Basically, my mom came back really weird. Okay. And I remember her sitting in the car. My dad's unsaved at that stage. And my mom's sitting in the car, boy, let's go and pray in the car and let's, let's ask to receive tongues. And my mom's like kind of going for it in the car. And then um, I didn't really receive anything that day. I just kind of looked at my mom. And then my mom would, would often have little, little shaking moments at, uh, at, our, at our dinner table. Now my dad is unsaved. He's a bit wary of the Christian thing. thinks my mom's involved in a cult. Anyway, there's something of that story. We had a bit of a, I had an interesting upbringing, interesting growing up in that household. And um, I remember at 17 coming back to Jesus and it was just this radical encounter that I had with the Father. From that moment, absolutely everything changed. Everything changed from that moment. And I, and I bowed my knee to Jesus and I, I wouldn't say that I had this incredible like calling experience, like a burning bush or I was, I was walking along and God's voice thundered from heaven, Dan, you're going to plant a church in Dubai. And, and it, it wasn't like that. It was just this, this, this kind of, whatever was in front of me, I said, God, this is, I want to serve you. I want to serve the best I possibly can. Now, I'm not perfect by any means. I don't think I was faithful in absolutely every single thing, and I doubt any of us are, but I think God sees the intention of our hearts and where we want to move forward. And if you just be faithful with what's in front of you, if you start to work out the general calling, God will work out specifics. Because I believe there is a specific calling, a, a moment of destiny that all of us carry. If you look at David's life, it says of him, for after David had done the will of God in his own generation, he died. And that's been my heart, to do the will of God in my generation. What has God called me to do in my generation? You look at David's calling, which we're probably going to go over next week, is that he was this boy that was forgotten in many ways. He, was, he wasn't chosen amongst the seven brothers when they came and, the, the, and then Samuel was anointing them. He wasn't chosen amongst them. He said, oh, there's this other guy out in the field, bring him in. He's the one that God chooses. 
But what we don't see is that behind the scenes, David had been faithful. He had killed the lion and the bear. He had been worshipping God alone. He had been developing a friendship with God. been faithful little things, and God gave him much. And that is, for me, the recipe for walking into anything. If you want to say, God, I, I know that there's more in my life. I know that I'm called to do more. I know that where I'm currently now, is, it's great, and I'm going to be faithful there. But God, I know there's more. Be faithful with what's in front of you. 1 Peter 2, 9. We start in the general, and this is amazing. 1 Peter 2, verse 9. You are a chosen people. Say chosen. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. I love that scripture. We are chosen, we are royal, we are holy, and we are God's special possession. If you have any form of inferiority, fear of man, feel like you have to prove yourself to someone or whatever it is. If you are in Christ Jesus, which means you belong to him, you've given your life to him, you are chosen, you are royal, you are holy, and you're God's special possession. A special possession, I think, is something that people can't live without. If we start to meditate on that scripture, God... Once God cannot live without us. It's why he sent his son. It's why he sent Jesus Christ in our place to die on the cross so we can be, there can be a reconciliation again of, of relationship which was once lost in the garden. 1 Peter 1 verse 15. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. And I think so often that can be preached a little bit out of context. The word holy is to be set apart. Because only Jesus Christ is holy. But we step under Jesus Christ and we, we are made holy. We, are, we stand righteous and holy before him, but we are being made holy. We're sanctified. We're becoming like Christ. We have to set our hearts on the journey. 1 Corinthians 1.9, it says, God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. There is no greater privilege than knowing Jesus. I've got to be honest, there's, there's times in my, my walking with Jesus where I've forgotten that Jesus is there. If I'm the only one, then that's great. Then I'm a little bit messed up. But we can so get on with life. Even as a church leader, I can get on with leading a church. And in Revelations, there's this clear call. It says, you've forgotten your first love. And, uh, and I think I have moments, if I'm being honest and vulnerable, where I, where I kind of go in and out of that. It's like, God, I want to be aware of your presence. I want to please you. I want to, I want to, do, I want to just live a life worthy of you. And, and then I forget. And then, for me, what's been helping me bed myself back into this is that I'm a son. I'm royal. I'm chosen by God. I'm a special possession. There's nothing that can separate me from the love of God. He, he's pouring out his love. He's pouring out his grace on me. And as I begin to let that wash over me, the, the brokenness that I've had in my life is, begins to change. It begins to shift. And I begin to see God, who he is. That Jesus' ultimate revelation of who God is, is that he's a father. So let's look at Jesus' calling. The call of Jesus. Matthew 3 verse 16. You can turn there in your Bibles. Matthew 3.16, I'm reading out of the NIV. It says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened 
and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and, a, and, a, and like lightning on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Incredible scripture. There's so much in there. And I'm going to unpack this a little bit. I'm going to, and then I'm going to end off on no condemnation and how we are settled completely in, in Christ Jesus by the sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross and how we embed ourselves into that place and we find a surety, we find affirmation, we find calling only from the place of sonship. So let's just start from the beginning. It says Jesus was baptized. First comment there is that if Jesus was baptized, so should we be. He was perfect. We're not perfect. And it's amazing. Jesus says, I'm doing this to fulfill all righteousness. And I, there's many reasons why Jesus baptized. He was an example to us. He was showing that he is the resurrection and the life and all of that. But one of the, one of the big reasons is that he was showing that he was, he was in, in bodily form, he was Israel. Israel went through the Dead Sea, sorry, Red Sea, they went through Jordan, they rose through and they went into the promised land. They came out of slavery in Egypt into the promised land, into the freedom in God. And Jesus was representing this thing is that where Israel failed, Jesus passes. Jesus is the one that makes a way for us. When Rory Dyer was here a couple of months ago and he taught us and I, I just went and looked at the scripture that he said. It's in Joshua 3.16. It says, when Joshua stepped into the river Jordan, the the water backed up to Adam. Isn't that amazing? This is a little town called Adam. So there's the water backed up to Adam, and then the other side was the Dead Sea. So if you look at that, that is the picture of salvation. When, When Jesus steps into our life, he makes a way into the promised land, into the fruitfulness of who God is, relationship, fullness. But he pushes back the the rivers of our sin all the way back to Adam. Innocence. Wholeness, purity, we can again just approach the Father and He also blocks off the way for us leading to death, which is the Dead Sea. All through Jesus Christ. Amazing picture of what baptism is. It says that heaven opened. And whenever you see the word heaven opened, this is a prophetic image that you see throughout the Bible, but God's about to announce something. Big, it's announced, I'd love to see heaven open. We've had moments, even in our meetings, where I feel like, the heaven has been opened up. Heaven is open under us because of Jesus Christ. But there's moments where the manifest presence of God comes and dwells with us. I want to see more of that. But imagine we stepped outside today and you just saw like this little crack of, of heaven and God begins to speak. It'll be amazing. And then it says, like a dove. Um, he saw the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove. And there's a few kind of uh, pictures that the Jewish people would have picked up immediately from that place. You must understand that Matthew and the Gospels was written first and foremost to a Jewish people, then it was kind of went out to the Gentiles, but they would have picked up all the symbolism. They would have picked up all this kind of uh, commentary that had been spoken for thousands of years, that Jesus is the culmination, he is the absolute truth that we need to put our faith and our hope in him. And you saw this dove and said that it came down in bodily form. Now a dove, if you look at uh, the story of Noah and the ark, the, the dove was sent out, it came back with an olive branch, which shows that there's, that there's new life, there's, that there's new humanity that's being formed. This is what Jesus is showing us. When the dove descended on Jesus, Jesus is bringing in a new humanity. That if we put our faith and our hope in Him, we step into a new humanity, a new way of living, that there's going to be the kingdom of God that is eventually going to take over the whole earth. But the most important thing is that the dove represents the Holy Spirit. And if you look at... Um, the, the, the old uh, rabbinic kind of commentaries on, on, on uh, Genesis 1, it says that the Holy Spirit hovered like a dove. 
And they would have seen that there's this kind of play of the Father who's speaking, the Son who's being baptized, and the Holy Spirit who's now descending on Jesus. This play of the Trinity that's happening in that moment. The Jewish people would have gone, we understand what's happening. God is making it incredibly obvious for them to believe in Him. But yet, obviously, some of them still rejected Him. A voice from heaven, God spoke. says, this is my Son whom I love. With Him I am well pleased. Let's just imagine this piece of paper is you and I, and uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff written about all the stuff that we've done wrong. Imagine, imagine someone had to write a page of all the stuff you've done that no one's seen, that maybe you did last week, two years ago, 40 years ago. doesn't matter. Imagine that was all written on this page. You're like, I would be hiding it. I'm like, sheesh, I hope no one sees this. What God does is this. He folds us up. It's an illustration, okay, so he doesn't literally fold us up. But he takes us and he places us. Now imagine this is, this is us, all our brokenness, everything that separates us from the Father, everything that we are ashamed of, that if we think about, we, 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 pass, we cringe at, and we're like, oh, I, don't, I don't want to think about that. And God takes that and he places us. Imagine this Bible is Christ. He places us in Christ. And, we are, and this is an old illustration, so some of you may have seen it, but, but our sins... All the stuff that is written against us is no longer seen. All that is seen is Christ Jesus. What an absolute privilege that we can just simply, the Bible says simply through believing in him and confessing him as Lord in Romans 10, we are now saved. We are placed in Christ. Nothing can separate us now from the love of Christ. Nothing can take us away because we are in Christ. God's not going to come and pull that piece of paper out again and say, Praveen, do you know what you did in uh, 1994? I'm going to bring it up again with you. He doesn't do that. He says, as far as the east is from the west, God takes our sins from us. It's, it's, it's taken away. He forgets our sins. We have to realize what it means to be in Christ. Whenever stuff is spoken over Jesus, where it says, this is my son, whom I love, with him I'm well pleased, you can insert your name there. This is my son, Rob Ashby, whom I love, and whom I'm well pleased. You can place your name right in that place because we step into, we are under Jesus Christ. In Christ is mentioned 75 times in the New Testament in the King James Version. It's, I think God's trying to say something. And I, if we don't get this, we're going to live our Christianity from a place of striving. We, we, we actually, God is saying, do you know what? You're a son. You're forgiven. Live as a son. My dad is a good dad. I'm grateful to my dad. I'm grateful that he provided for us. I'm grateful that he loved us. Um, by his own admission, he's not a perfect person. But yeah, for me, he was a perfect dad. And he was great to us. So I don't have to kind of work through a bunch of things. But I know... That, um, that even if I had to mess up, possibly reject him, walk away, take his money, whatever it is, what is the worst thing he could do? To my dad, I know, would still love me. And it's just how much more as our Father in heaven? This is my son whom I love, and with him I'm well pleased. The amazing thing that it's not through our effort, it's through what Jesus did on the cross. And if we try to strive, and I've seen this in church, I've seen guys come in and, and I, I see them sit at the back, guys and girls, and they're like, oh, let me just attend for a few weeks and then maybe I'll get a little bit better and then I can give my life to Jesus or join a community group. Or No, just come to Jesus. 
He loved you while you were still walking in all of the stuff that you've been walking in. Even if right now you're saying, I don't know how I got you this morning. My life is a mess. I'm, I'm, I'm racked by sin. I, I, I can see the effects of it on my life. Jesus is saying, follow me. I'll forgive everything. Wash you completely clean. It's an amazing place to stay and live from as a son. Um, we, we started watching a series, which I don't think I'm going to carry on watching, but it was a series, I don't know if it's a true story, but it was set in England in around 1912 in this little village, kind of pre-First World, uh, World War One. Yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> I was like, that didn't come out correctly. But anyway, um, pre-World War One. Yes, well done, Paul, 10 points. And... Um, this little boy, he's like, it starts with the opening scene, he's with his, probably about 12, his brother's about 19, they're swimming and they're having fun and they're having just like, just a boy being a boy, you know, just, ha- just not mischievous, not naughty, just running around. He comes home and he's like, he's saying to his brother, I don't want to go home. And then it kind of opens into the scene where they step inside and their father's just this harsh, strict man. And they're, they're, they're kind of around the dining room table, but the two boys have to stand and eat. It's like, I don't know if they arrived late, but they were being punished. And you, if you see throughout the whole show, they, they always show the boy standing and eating. And it's just this harsh father that locked him in a cupboard, that beat the mother, that did whatever. He was just this horrible, horrible man. And in that moment, I was thinking, that is the opposite of God the Father. He is not harsh. This, this man had kids in the TV show, and he had to endure them. Where God enjoys us. He enjoys the stuff we enjoy. He's put desires in your heart. Obviously, if your desires don't line up with Scripture, then that's not from Jesus. But He puts desires in your heart. He puts, he puts calling in your heart. He puts destiny in your heart. He gets excited about you getting excited about things. He weeps when you weep. Weeps, uh, weep. He mourns when you mourn. He's, he's with you. He stands with you. He loves you. And I was listening to a sermon this week, and this guy quoted this, this guy, and he says, He loves you because He loves you because He loves you because He loves you because He loves you. And he just carried on. And I, I think the more we, we, we encounter God, the more we just keep bumping into His love. He is love. He is perfect, pure love. And if we keep stepping into that place, God is going to continue to wash us clean. He's going to continue to affirm us as His sons and His daughters. He's going to, going to, going to say, listen, Jesus would go around saying, it's like, do not worry about tomorrow. I'm like, that's great, Jesus. How, how are we going to do that? And he gives the answer, he says, because your Father in heaven knows what you need. Jesus kept giving the answer throughout Matthew 5, 6, 7, where it speaks about the Beatitudes, about how to live. And he says, because your Father in heaven. And if we understand this thing of us being sons and daughters of God, anxiety should go, fear of man should go, worrying what other people think should go. It has to be this bedrock that sits in our life as sons and daughters of God. And Paul picks this up in Romans 8. Romans 8 verse 14 to 17, it says this, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. Amazing. The Spirit of God doesn't lead us into a place of fear, fear of anything, fear of the future, fear of not being liked, fear of anything. God, God says that so that you do not live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. 
And by him we cry, Abba, Father. And the translation there is Daddy God, Daddy Father. Verse 16, the Spirit, capital S, himself testifies with our spirit, small s, that we are God's children. That scripture, since Ryan and I went away two weeks ago, and Roy Dyer, who did a little bit of a kind of a mentoring session with us, has, be- has begun to change my life. I'm not there yet. But every time I feel any form of insecurity, any time I feel a, a temptation around sin, every time I feel that I, I'm caring too much what other people think, I go back to this. His Spirit, the Spirit Himself, testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. It's what He does. He, he's the one that steps in and, he, and begins to testify in our hearts that we, are the, that we are God's children. Now, if we are God's children... Now, for children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may share in his glory. If we're talking about calling, destiny, being heirs of God, it has to start with sonship. Because otherwise we're going to get into this place of striving, of trying to be something. Trying, And I think that the world doesn't need another striving Christian trying to be something. We have to come from a place of sonship. We learn to abide and from that place fruit begins to grow in our lives. The amazing thing with adoption is then Paul would have written, with, he was a Roman citizen, so he would have written with something of this in his mind when he wrote about adoption. There's a few things that happens at the moment of adoption in Roman society. Their old debts and their legal obligations were paid by the person who's doing the adopting. Isn't that amazing? That's what Jesus did. He took all our sins, our debts, obligations. He took it and he, he nailed it on the cross. So we can come back to the Father. Number two, they got a new name and they became the, the heir of everything the Father had. Imagine you found out that you were somehow linked to the Earl, let's just, I'm going to make up a title here, okay, the Earl of Sussex, okay, just because I've watched some old British shows, but this, imagine this Earl had a whole bunch of, like multiple millions, if not billions of pounds, and somehow you are like, kind of going to inherit that, you get an email the one day, and it's, it's not a fake email, you know what I mean, you don't send your bank details, uh, that's unwise, very unwise to do, but imagine this, actually someone comes and approaches you, gives you an actual check, that is, that is what happens when we get saved. We, 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 st- we, we get something we do not deserve. We, get, we, we become, what does it say? It says, um, if we are children, we are heirs. We are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Jesus did all the effort so we be- can become heirs with Him. He's the one that died on the cross. He's the one that was whipped. He's the one that suffered. He's the one that had all of our sins poured upon Himself. And all we have to do is put our faith in Him, trust in Him, and then we become co-heirs with Jesus Christ. That is unfair. And I remember, I think Michael Eaton said, he said, if you're preaching the gospel and people don't get this kind of wow feeling that this is totally unfair, then we're not preaching the gospel properly. Because it doesn't make sense. If anything, uh, the gospel is this. Imagine we've been watching, um, uh, what's it? The, OJ, people, the People vs. O.J. Simpson, quite a cool show on, on Netflix. And uh, you leave the end of that show, you're like, there's so much injustice in this. I don't know what you guys believe. I, I believe you guilty but some of you may believe is innocent but anyway we'll talk about that later um but the point is imagine imagine you had done the most heinous crimes maybe you had stuff that i can't even mention in church you've done 
And you're standing in court and you're about to get judged. And Jesus comes along and says, I'm going to take this all for you. That's grace. Doesn't make sense. The, 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 the absolute justice of, if we feel like we need to have, see justice, God's justice was satisfied in Jesus Christ. That is the incredible truth of the gospel, that we step into the lineage of Christ, we become co-heirs with Christ. It says here that the new father, this is when you're adopted in Roman society, they became eligible for all the actions of the person being adopted. God takes responsibility for us. And now our response is this, that the new son has new obligations to his new father. And that's what happens. We, and I think so often in our lives is that, uh, so maybe sometimes the gospel has been preached like just give your life to Jesus and then you've got your ticket to heaven. No, it's like you give your life to Jesus and then you, you get declared righteousness, you get declared as a son, but now it's going to take possibly your whole life to understand what it means to be a son. That is what we call sanctification. So you should look more like Jesus after two months of being saved, after a year of being saved, after 10 years of being saved, because you are now becoming like Christ. You already are like, in a sense, like Christ, but you are now becoming like Him. It's like your spirit gets made alive, but gets made perfect, and your body and everything else is catching up. That's what Romans 8 is all about. Go read it for yourselves. If we learn to follow the Spirit of God and do what the Spirit's doing, we please the Father. He's, and obviously because we are, it's pleased in, in Jesus. Romans 8 verse 1 says, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God has pardoned you. Whatever wrong you've done, whatever things you've walked in in your life, God has pardoned you. And I think we had a, a prayer meeting at, at 8.30 this morning. And I think Nushi and Danae and the, uh, I don't know who else. A couple of people had prophetic words. And one of the things was that there was like there's these blocks in people's lives, preventing them from kind of walking into, into greater things. And one of the things that Starla shared is just that actually those blocks is people think that they've messed up too much in order to walk into their calling. Can I say today that Jesus, doesn't matter how far gone you are, if you turn around today, it's called repentance. He's right there. He's a restorer. He'll bring you back. Some of you are, are saying, well, I, I know God that there's more in my life. I know there's possibly a calling, but... I've done too much. There's too much stacked against me. Jesus is like, I'm going to wipe it clean. And there's going to be a process. There'll be stuff that you have to walk through, and that's fine. That's why we have leaders. But can I tell you today, under Christ, if you turn your face towards him this morning, you are made clean. You have been pardoned by our king. How much time do we have left? Five, ten minutes. Do you know when I haven't preached in a while, I've got way too much notes, so I'm just having a quick look to see where we can go. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this out of this verse, and he was a famous preacher in the UK 50, 60 years ago. Most of our troubles are due to our failure to realize the truth of this verse. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. What happens if we forget that there is now no condemnation? On the one hand, we, f- we feel far more guilt, unworthiness, and pain than we should. From this may come a drivenness uh, from a need to prove ourselves, great sensitivity to criticism, defensiveness, a lack of confidence in relationships, a lack of confidence uh, and in, in joy in prayer and in worship, and, in, and, and, in, and maybe even an addictive behavior, which can be the reaction to a deep sense of guilt and unworthiness. Wow. 
I felt like I just read something of my life there. God, I love that it starts, Romans 8 starts, that there's now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are in him. God looks at us, he sees us as perfect. He works out everything for his good in and through our lives. The greatest title we can ever be given is a son of God. And we live in a city and in an age where titles matter. And I want to just say that the, the more we understand who we are in Christ, the more we can actually bow low and begin to see the gospel move. I want to end with a story. Those Who knows Ravi Zacharias? He's a great um, preacher, apologetic preacher. He's been preaching for many, many years. But uh, pre-Vietnam uh, War, he was actually traveling around Vietnam with a young 24-year-old Vietnamese guy who, um, who actually became his translator, could speak English and Vietnamese fully. And he would travel around with Ravi Zacharias and they'd go preach. And there would be thousands upon thousands of people that gave their lives to Jesus. Just after that, the war breaks out. Uh, the war ends and this guy gets arrested because he thought, they thought he was a spy for the CIA because he hung out with a lot of Americans. Anyway, he gets arrested. He gets thrown in some form of like island prison. And um, they, they torture him day after day. They, they kind of throw their beliefs, their beliefs of Marxism and, and all this kind of communism stuff. And it's just, he gets to the point where he's like, God, where are you? And he gets to another point where he eventually says this out of his mouth. He says, God, I don't believe you're real or exist anymore. And uh, the next day, he gets put onto uh, long drop duty. So who knows? You know, long drop. I mean, let's not describe that thing. Uh, I remember going on uh, trips, uh, mission trips into different parts of the world, and there was a long drop, which is not the most ideal kind of use of a toilet. Anyway, this guy was putting. This guy was put on um, long drop duty, and uh, as he's kind of cleaning the bottom, he, he like looks down at a page, and he picks up this page, and he kind of wipes it off. <laughs> without being too descriptive um, wipes it off and then on that page is, it's actually a page out of the Bible Romans 8 it says God works for good God works together for good of those ah let me read it properly I had it in my head who knows it God works all things for good for those who are loved and called by his purpose something like that so he reads this verse in that moment he repents and he's like I find myself where I rejected God a few days before and he, and he finds himself literally in poo. And he's clean, and, and then time after time, he gets page after page and he cleans it off. He ends up getting a whole bunch of pages of the Bible. Uh, and then he leads 54 people to the Lord within that prison camp. They end up making a boat and now they're going to escape. They had this elaborate plan. And uh, they get onto this, they're about to get onto this boat and one of the, the, the guards, like they're trained as Navy SEALs, come, comes up to them, puts a gun in his face and says, where are you going? He says, well, we, we're actually trying to escape. He just was honest with the guy. And the guy says, cool, I'm coming with you. And these two guys jump on the boat with him and they go and they end up actually helping these, the, these guys get to Thailand because they're trained Navy SEALs. They know how to kind of navigate harsh waters. And, and I just thought in that moment, God, is, God worked together for the good. Even though he found himself in possibly the worst place ever. He had rejected God. But God was still seeing him as a son. And brought him back to that place. And apparently he wrote a letter to Ravi Zacharias years later and said, I'm living in Southern California. I'm studying my master's in whatever. Ravi Zacharias ended up doing his wedding. And God flipped that whole thing on its head and changed everything for that guy. Can I say, wherever you find yourself this morning, you're not too far gone. 
you have not, you've not stepped out of the place of repentance. You have not stepped out of a place where you can actually come back to the Father. There is now no, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Our affirmation needs to come from Him. We live in a world where people are trying to find their affirmation in every, on Facebook, Instagram, friends. If you're constantly needing affirmation, you have not encountered the love and the affirmation of the Father. And we don't, I don't know if we necessarily have time to kind of spend four or five hours and, and kind of cry to the Father. Can I say, set your heart on the journey to finding the Father's heart. Set your, and say, God, I do not know you as God my Father. Maybe Christianity has been a, a bit of a, a religious thing for you for, for years. And God is saying, I want, a, I want relationship. I want, I want you to know that you are in right standing with me, that you do not have to prove anything. And from that place, God can start to do amazing things in and through your life. Can we all stand? Mario, would you mind coming up? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Jesus, that you've made us whole. We thank you, Lord God, that if we've given our hearts to you, Father, that we are in Christ. There is nothing we can do to prove ourselves, to prove more that we love you, God. You love us completely and wholly, Father. Father, thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you started in this community. And um, I just, I've actually, just while everyone's eyes are closed, I've just got two calls. The first thing is for those who have never given their lives to Jesus, they've, um, or maybe you've kind of run away from the Father and you think it's too far gone and you're like, I don't know if God will ever accept me back. He's, he's here and He's wanted to accept you completely. All you have to do is just turn your face towards Him. If that is you, I'd love for you to raise your hand because there's something about acknowledging that in front of people, though no one's really looking, but there's, a, there's an acknowledgement between you and the Father to say, Father, that's me. And we're going to pray a prayer of salvation, a prayer asking for God for His forgiveness, and a prayer of repentance to come back to Him. If that is you, just want to raise your hand quickly. That's awesome. You can put your hand down. Thank you. First meeting, there was a, a guy, I don't know if he's still here, but I just saw his hand go up quickly. I was like, someone in our church brought him to church last week, gave his life to Jesus this week. That's an amazing thing. So I'm going to pray a prayer that I want us to all. There was a hand that went up, and if, and if there's any other people that want to pray this prayer, pray it with your whole heart. But I want us, let's pray it all together like we're praying for the first time. So, Heavenly Father, would you forgive me? Would you wash me clean? every sin I repent before you this morning I turn away from my old life and I turn my face towards you I thank you that I am now adopted I'm now a son or a daughter thank you for saving me in Jesus name if you prayed that prayer, please come at the back at the Info Hub. Just say, listen, I prayed the prayer. We've got a 31-day journey of growing in God and a little Bible that we can give you guys. But also, if you need prayer, please come to the front. We'd love to pray with you. There's a bunch of people waiting. And then the second thing, and we're talking on calling, and you're going to hear a lot of it over the next few weeks. But those who you feel that there's been some kind of block 
and, and the prophetic word that came through different people is that there's been some kind of block in your calling. You're saying, God, I know that there's more. I'm trying to be faithful where I'm at. If you want to just raise your hand quickly, because I love to pray with you. Just say, God, I know there's more. That's awesome. That's awesome. You can put your hands down as soon as you put it up. Thank you, Father. Let's pray. Father, you saw the hands that went up today. An acknowledgement before you. I just pray, Lord God, that you would just ignite something in those people's hearts. Wherever there's been blocks, wherever there's been opposition, we just speak clarity over that, Lord God. I pray, Lord God, that you would just clarify the call on people's lives. First of all, starting with sonship, total forgiveness, totally forgiven by the Father. And from that place, God, calling, destiny, purpose. I pray, Lord God, that even in this whole series that we're going to be doing, that that you would awaken stuff in people's hearts. You would awaken uh, callings, Lord God. And from this place, we're going to see church plants and businesses and missionaries and people go out from this place because you've awakened callings in people's lives, Lord Jesus. I just prophesy that over our church. I prophesy that there's going to be... church plants are prophesied that there's people going to, they're, they're going to go as missionaries to certain places that some people say are, is impossible to go to but God's going to raise up and put a fire in people's hearts and a strength in their spine to step into those things. I pray Lord God that there will be an awakening of the prophetic gift within our church that, just this, uh, that, this, that the gifts of the Spirit would flow in and, in and through this community. I just feel like the, when I said the prophetic thing that there's been some of you kind of You've stepped in and out of prophetic, and God's, I believe, honestly, God's going to awaken something in an incredible way. Nushi, I believe God's doing that over your life, that there's this, again, a reawakening of this just incredible prophetic gift that you've carried for many years, but I feel like it's going to begin to kind of step into. And as I've said that over Nushi, I feel like it's for so many people that some of you have been, he's given you words, he gives you pictures, he gives you dreams, and you're going to be able to be able to speak that out into people's lives, bring encouragement into, into people's lives. So, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you change us. We thank you that your spirit is working. In Jesus' name, amen. If there's anyone that needs prayer for anything, healing, breakthrough, please come to the front. There's a bunch of guys waiting to pray for you. That's awesome. Andy, cool. Anyone else, come for prayer. Otherwise, have an incredible week. We'll see you next week. Thanks.